Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to the program know that these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with some of our editorial partners. But today, I'm bringing you something a bit different because the guest on today's program is, well, it's me. My friend Dan Burrell, who is a teaching pastor at Life Fellowship, uh, a large church here in the Charlotte area, had me on his podcast called Life Talks. We recorded three 20-minute episodes discussing Ministry Watch, our work, what we do, why we do it, and some of our recent stories. The conversations turned out so well that I asked Dan if I could air them on the Ministry Watch podcast, and he graciously gave us permission to do so. So without further introduction, here's the first of those three episodes. We'll be airing the other two in the weeks ahead. In our world today, it's a sad but true reality that there are crooks and charlatans in every line of work. And it is the responsibility of some to just kind of make sure that we're keeping an eye on those kind of folks. My guest today on Life Talks is Warren Cole Smith. Warren is a uh, a journalist. Uh, he is a theologian. He is a philosopher. He is an author. And he's a good friend. And I'm so thankful to have him with me today. My name is Dan Burrell. I'm one of the teaching pastors of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. And you're listening to Life Talks. Warren, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you. So you are part of a uh, of, of an organ. Well, you're the head of the organization. It's called Ministry Watch. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, Ministry Watch is an organization that uh, seeks to bring transparency and accountability to the ministry world, with the ultimate goal of restoring the credibility of the evangelical church. And our ultimate goal, even beyond that, of course, is to bring glory to God. So we are an explicitly Christian organization. Uh, we're not trying to tear down the church at all by the things that we do. We're trying to build up the church and restore the church and sort of put some guardrails and barriers, hedges of protection around uh, Christian ministries and their leaders. Well, you wrote a book a, a couple of years ago, um, and I have a copy of the book. It's called Faith-Based Fraud. Uh, man, when you when you even hearing that title is painful because you like to think of your brothers and sisters in Christ or those who would who would use the name of of God and 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 Christ and truth and the gospel as to being generally trustworthy. But we all know the stories, right? T tell us a little bit about why you wrote that book and 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 what you uncovered as part of it. Well, I want to be really clear at the outset that that the vast majority of pastors and ministry leaders in this country are doing great work for the glory of God. They're living sacrificially. They are uh, not fakes and charlatans, as as you said. And uh, you know, Dan, I've known you for a long time. I've known you um, as a faithful minister of the gospel for all these years. I know you know personally hundreds. And, and read about thousands and even millions of uh, men and women like that. So I want to be really clear that, that um, you know, again, uh, the vast majority of folks that are involved in ministry 
are, are not in this category. But I do think that they get painted sometimes. All of evangelicalism, all of the church, all of the ministry world sometimes gets painted with the brush uh, by the secular world. You know, when you look at a mm. secular, cynical uh, world, and they they use people like Jim and Tammy Baker or mm-hmm. the most recent uh, uh, scandal with Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. um, to sort of paint us all. And so I think it's important that we make some careful distinctions um, between sort of, I hate to say it, maybe this is not quite theologically the right way to say it, the good guys and the bad guys. I mm-hmm. mean, we're, we're all sinners saved by grace, right? And mm-hmm. we're, um, so there's really not one of us that is truly good apart from Christ. But I use that language to say that you know we do need to make some distinctions. We do need to hold up a standard of behavior for people in ministry, and we need to call out those people that are not living up to that standard of behavior, um, in part so that we can help restore them. Um, because I think God is in the business of restoration, but also so that our credibility is enhanced with this secular, cynical world that are saying to the church, look, you guys are no different than mm-hmm. the rest of us. You say this Jesus that you worship transforms, then how come you behave just like the rest of us? And I think that if we can be honest about uh, our own behavior and about about calling out the folks that are bad actors within the evangelical church, that it's good for them, it's good for the church, and it restores our credibility with the world. You know, sometimes there's been the argument made over the years, and 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 quite honestly, the chickens have kind of come home to roost on this argument, that if you expose evil, if you shine the light on sin, some, sometimes even criminal things, uh, immorality, financial malfeasance of, of one sort or the other, that somehow you do damage to, to the reputation of Christ, that uh, you cause shame to Christianity. What, w- what would your response be to somebody who, who throws that at you? Because, I mean, you are a watchdog, and, and what you're doing involves exposing uh, some things. Well, it does. And, and trust me, Dan, I'm not insensitive to that argument. I mean, uh, I, I hope that I come to my job with a certain amount of humility and and you know fear of God uh, about how uh, I should behave in those in those circumstances. But I will say this: the truth will set you what it will set you free. It never doesn't set us free. It always sets us free. I mean, God is a God of truth. He commands us to be truth tellers. Bearing false witness is one of the things that we're supposed to avoid. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's uh, So I, I don't—now, obviously, we've got to um, let our speech, um, you know, be seasoned with grace, and we've got to speak the truth in love. Um, all of those other verses in Scripture, I think, have to be taken into account as we're going about this business. But I do believe that speaking the truth is— big part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. We start with the truth of the gospel, but I think that all truth is God's truth, and it extends to every area of life. Oh, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I, You know, I, one of my frustrations is um, that, you know, we talk about the dangers of pragmatism, we talk about the dangers of moral relativism, but sometimes even those of us who would profess to be Orthodox Christians, that, you know, we care about the issues of truth, uh, in a pragmatic sense, when, when the rubber hits the road, when we 
we become uh, under scrutiny, we very quickly default to the common culture's posture on on things like uh, on whether or not we're going to be honest, whether or not we're going to repent, whether or not we're we're going to um, come under accountability and and under the authority of others. You know, as you know, folks, we, we've got a wide variety of people who who listen to Life Talks. Uh, members of Life Fellowship Church, that, but they're pastors. They're people from all over the world that that listen to this. They're philanthropists that listen to this. What would you say to someone uh, is our responsibility as good stewards of our resources? What are, what are some things we should look for? What are some things that we should be drawn toward as as we choose who to support? Well, it's a great question, and and, uh, and I should probably emphasize your, your question allows me to do that, and I appreciate this, is that we do at Ministry Watch exist to serve donors to Christian ministry. That's an important part of our mission. And uh, we think that one of the things that you should be looking for is for a ministry, for a church that um, that really models the kind of transparency and accountability that I spoke of early in our conversation. Uh, if, if you're going to give money to a Christian ministry, you should know um, where that money is going. Uh, that, to me, is just sort of a basic of good stewardship. You can learn where that money is going by doing things like reviewing their financial statements. Every nonprofit organization in the country, with some exceptions, and we can talk about those if you want to, are supposed to file a Form 990. It's like a tax return, but it, it tells um, anyone who reads that, form, uh, how much money comes into the organization, how much money goes out of the organization, how much money is spent on ministry, how much money is spent on fundraising, how much money is spent on salaries for the key executives. If I'm a donor to a ministry, I want to read their form 990s before I do that, before I give money to that ministry. Uh, so the form, read the form 990s. That's a part of sort of the transparency. The, the accountability piece of it would be to take a look at their board of directors. And I'm again, I'm differentiating right now, Dan, between Christian ministries and churches. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of a different regimen there, but uh, Christian nonprofits should have a board of directors. We at Ministry Watch recommend seven to nine uh, is kind of an optimal optimal number for board members. If you have a whole lot more than that, it becomes unwieldy. Dissenting voices on the board have a hard time being heard when they're a large board. When I look at a lot of the scandals that we've seen over the last few years at Liberty University, at Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, at other places, usually it's because they have a, a, a board that is too large to really provide the kind of oversight that boards are supposed to provide. All of that information, again, is available on a Form 990. So I would recommend if you are, you know, giving any kind of serious money at all to a Christian organization, you should ask for their 990s. And I mentioned that churches have a uh, are a little bit of a different regimen. Churches are not required to release their Form 990s to the public. Certain Christian ministries are now saying they are churches mm-hmm. in order not to do that. And um, we recommend at Ministry Watch that, or we we think that's a bad practice. That if you are a Christian nonprofit, not a church, you're not holding Sunday services, you're not doing marrying and burying, and you don't have all that kind of stuff that churches normally do, you should be releasing your Form 990s. I would recommend that you, you not give money to any Christian ministry that is not willing to release its Form 990s to the public. Yes, I, great counsel and, and something we need to pay attention to. J- just so our listeners know, how do you how do you access the 990s? Yeah, there are a couple of different ways. Um, one is to go to, there's some websites out there, uh, GuideStar, Charity Navigator, 
ProPublica are three that are fairly well known. We put the financial statements of about 800 of the largest Christian ministries in the country on our website, ministrywatch.com. We don't have the full Form 990s there, but we get our information from the Form 990s. Sometimes these Form 990s can be 30, 40, 50 pages long. We've consolidated the most important information, including salary information, fundraising um, expenses, all are consolidated on one page on the Ministry Watch website. Yeah. One of the other things I've noticed uh, about some ministries in the past who have kind of gotten into trouble is the tendency to appoint either friends or family members to their board. Do you see that as problematic? Well, I do see that as problematic. Uh, I mentioned earlier that an optimal number of board members would be around seven to nine. There's no magic number, but that's a that's a pretty good number. Um, of those board members, at least half of them should be independent. And by independent, that means they're not family members. They they don't have business dealings with the ministry. They are truly independent. They are making decisions based purely on what is best for the ministry and its work and for the donor. They're representing, in, many, in a very real sense, the donor there. If they are clouded, if their judgment is clouded because they've got family members working in the ministry, if they themselves are working in the ministry, or their their businesses have financial dealings, that is that means they're not independent. Their judgment could be clouded as they have what's technically called a conflict of interest there. And so we think that that is a bad policy. Yeah, they should be independent, no family members. Let's shift gears just a, a little bit because, you know, you did mention that there are some laws that have uh, apply to charitable nonprofit, faith-based nonprofit organizations that are not classified as churches. Um, but we know that churches do receive some exemptions, um, some protections under the First Amendment, that, so you don't have entanglement of government uh, involvement and in, in excessive oversight in, in churches. But talk to me now as a church member. I mean, you served in leadership at your local church. You have a history and a variety of denominations, knowing that some denominations are tighter than others with that. Um, and, you know, and again, from church to church, I mean, I know churches that that uh, have elders that are very, very carefully chosen by the congregation or by by leadership. I know some who are the pastor says, I'm not answering to elders. I'm not going to have elders or or deacons or board of trustees of any kind. Um, a lot of mega churches today don't have a board of accountability that's from that congregation. They, they choose often kind of friends to, to circle themselves with, set their salary and oversee some of the financial institutions. As a church member, what, what, should, what should they look for in, in accountability for that? Well, I, I think that what a church member should look for uh, w- within their own church is that there should be an independent board of deacons or elders. It kind of depends on the polity or the governance of that particular church. I think that r- remains important. It might look different in a church than in, in a Christian ministry, but I think the principle remains, which is that the pastor should have someone— uh, or some body, some group of people to whom uh, he is accountable. And let me just say, uh, too, Dan, I, I mean, I, I'm a man under authority. I'm the president of Ministry Watch, but I have a board of directors that I report to. I understand that that's uncomfortable sometimes. I understand why pastors don't want that. But let me tell you, it's it's 
good for the pastor as well. It's it it's a hedge of protection around the pastor uh, as much as it is for the congregation and for the donors to that organization. So I think that that this kind of strict accountability, where the senior pastor reports to some outside group uh, by outside, I don't mean outside the church, but I mean you know he's not his fi- he's he himself is not the final authority, is really critical um, when it comes to financial dealings. Um, I understand why churches are not required to post their Form 990s for everyone to see. The church exemption exists for a reason, and I think it's a good reason. However, I do believe that if you're a member of that church, if you're giving money to that church, then you should have access to the financial statements of that church. That's just my my opinion. I know there's a diversity of opinion there. And um, if you're a donor to a church, um, you should show up at the annual meetings where these budgets are being decided. You should ask for the budget. You might not need to know, you know, every jot and tittle where every penny goes, but in broad categories, I think every member of a church, especially if they're regular givers, tithers, if you will, I hope they're tithers, um, they ought to know where that money's going. To me, that is just a principle of good stewardship. You should know where the money is going. Absolutely. And I think sometimes an outside verification of that through an audit, a formal audit, or at least a review, but preferably an audit on on at least every two to three year basis is another thing that that we ought to ask about. Well, that's right. At Ministry Watch, uh, we say that if you're an organization has more than $1 million in revenue, you should get an outside audit. If it's less than a million dollars, audits are expensive. For those people who don't know, an audit means something specific. It means that an outside accounting firm has looked over the financial statements and has done a number of tests on those financial statements to make sure that they comply with generally accepted accounting procedures gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the audits cost real money. And so, you, you know, you want to be a certain size before it's worth that expense. But we we say that uh, any ministry or church that has more than a million dollars in revenue ought to have an audit. And if it's less than a million, say between, say, two or 300,000 and a million, they should get a reviewed financial statement, which is also by an outside accounting firm, but doesn't is not quite as in-depth as an audit. Yeah. Great advice. And thank you. Thank you for sharing those perspectives. You, you know, over the course of, of my 30 plus years of ministry, I've I've served in roles of CEO or CFO or COO and, and part of a board that where I'm being held accountable. Um, but I've also been on college boards. I'm chairman of a um, uh, ministry organization right now um, where I'm serving as a board member trying to to fulfill my fiduciary responsibilities, my ethical and moral responsibilities. And, and most of us serve at the request of somebody. I mean, whether it's a congregation that selects us or somebody who appoints us. Um, what would you say to people who are serving on, on boards? There is always that tension between I want to do a good job, but I don't want to be a jerk about it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to fulfill the expectations legally, morally, ethically, but I don't want to be a problem. Well, that's a really great question, and it's a complicated question. It requires an answer much longer than I am prepared to give you today, Dan. But let me just say this, that boards should 
be responsible for governance of the organization. They should set policy. They should they should be engaged in strategy. They should set the overall budget for the organization. They should not be involved in the day-to-day operations of that organization. They, they should let the president or executive director and the staff be engaged in that process. So uh, th- my first question would be to a board, a board member or someone uh, – thinking about becoming a board member is try to understand that distinction between governance and management and make sure that you kind of stay in your lane, that you can provide the oversight, you can uh, look at the the budget and you've got expertise to do that, but that you also let the staff run the organization. Um, that's a little, that's as much art as it is science. There are books out there and we publish some articles on our website. If you go to ministrywatch.com, and click on the tab at the top of the page that says for ministry leaders. Mm. We actually have some resources there that talk about board governance and and succession planning and the kinds of things that are maybe a little bit more of interest to uh, leadership in ministries than the donors themselves. Excellent. So tell us, as we kind of close up uh, here in the final couple of moments, tell us a little bit about ministrywatch.com. Um how do you survive? Uh, it, because I'm, I'm sure people aren't paying you to investigate them, right? So. Right, right. Well, we we are totally independent, and we that's something that we think is important. The Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, for example, which is an organization that is also kind of in the space that we're in, they're paid by the ministries that are members of that organization. We think that creates an, a conflict of interest. We think the ECFA does good work in some areas, but we think that there's a built-in conflict of interest in their funding model. We are completely donor-supported. Uh, we uh, do investigative journalism. We post the financial information of the 800 largest Christian ministries in the country on our website, and uh, we're paid by the people that use and value that information. Uh, it's uh, We've got a fairly small budget. I'll just tell you candidly, it's about between $300,000 dollars and $350,000 a year, and it all comes from mostly comes from small donors. We've got a couple of uh, larger benefactors, but for the most part, it comes from $25, $50, and $100 donations. Wow. So if somebody wanted to give to your organization or they just simply want to access the information that you've accumulated or just kind of stay current because you're always updating and writing fresh articles and so forth, uh, how would they go about doing that? Well, ministrywatch.com, pretty easy to remember. Uh, we publish anywhere from two to five new stories every day. When I say stories, I mean we publish lists. We publish a podcast. Uh, we do a couple of podcast episodes every week. So we're put it, we'll say five, two to five pieces of new content go up on our website every day. And I guess my, I would say come and taste and see if it's good. If, you, if it's something that you find of value, then there is a donate button at the top of the page. Excellent. Our guest today has been Warren Cole Smith, and uh, he has done a lot to help us just kind of be thinking along the lines of accountability, both for ministries and for how we give. And, and so I hope you'll go by and take a look at, at uh, his, his work at uh, ministrywatch.com. Uh, Google his name sometime. You'll find lots of good articles he's written over the years. He's worked for World Magazine. He used to be part of King's College in New York City. He's been part of the Chuck Colson Center. Uh, he's got several excellent books out as well. And thanks again for being our guest today, Warren. And we'll look forward to chatting with you on another topic real soon. Thank you, Dan.
that brings to a close this episode of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, I hope today's episode gives you a bit of a peek behind the curtain, you might say, to see how and why we do what we do. To find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the About Us tab at the top of the page. We've recently added some new material there, including our latest financial statements and our statement of faith. Before we go, a couple of housekeeping items. First, Ministry Watch is donor-supported. If you'd like to pitch in to make sure that Ministry Watch remains a viable endeavor, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate button, which is also at the top of the page. And even if a few bucks is too much, hey, I get it. I've been there. Uh, But there's something easy and free you can do to help the program, and that's simply to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us with search engines. So it's a great way for you to help out, and it only takes a few seconds. And by the way, though I can't respond via the podcast app, I do read all the comments there, and they're both encouraging and helpful. So thanks very much. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Sutton. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.